Well, we're in John 18 and 19, um, carrying forward from last Wednesday uh, when they had left the upper room and finished the Passover feast and, and they were heading out and he was speaking to them after they left the upper room and they're making their way across the Kidron Valley and they're heading over to um, uh, Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, Jesus had prayed for his disciples along the way, also for those that would believe to this very day uh, that, that they would know that he was sent by the Father and that he is the one with God and he is the one true God with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And he desired more than anything as we read through John's uh, six, uh, 15, 16, and 17 that that's his desire, that we would know he's from God, he's sent by the Father. And so we pick it up in John 18, and they're getting there to the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, so John 18, verse 1 um, through 18, and we'll come back and talk. Um, Jesus, uh, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples had entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met them there with his, or met there with his disciples. And then Judas, having received a, a detachment of troops and officers from the chief Pharisees and the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Verse 4, Jesus, therefore knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. And when he had said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And then he asked them again, well, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. And then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. And so Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. I will not drink, uh, shall I not drink the cup which the Father has given me? And then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. And now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one should die for the people, one man. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside, and then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. And then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Also, and he said, I am not. And the servants and the officers who made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. And so we pick it up here in, in uh, verse 1. They arrived at the garden where they often met, and, and as such, Judas knew the place, knew where to be. And so he brought his troops with him, and given to him, now it's, notice it says, by the chief priests and the Pharisees, they gave Judas these troops and in those days, you had the Romans were occupying Israel, and the the uh, they had their soldiers, but the the Jews had their police, if you will. They had their troops that would do the bidding of the religious leaders, and so they had sent out their their um, their troop. And so, uh, more about Annas and Caiaphas later, in verses four through seven, it says as they approached. Jesus moves toward these guys. And it's, it's like, and he asks, who are, who's seeking? And when he says, uh, you know, I am he, if we were to try and, you know, in other Gospels it talks about this actually happening twice. They come forward and, and he says, I am he, and they fall backwards twice. And they keep coming, surprisingly. Um, uh, but so scriptures would be fulfilled. But to feel that and see that, um, Looking back, if, we, if you would, let's turn to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 32 and just to see a little bit of a glimpse of the power that was there when Jesus said this. And um, we know God created all things. 
um, and he holds all things together. In, in Deuteronomy 32, just verses 39 and 40, it says, now, I, now see that I, even I, am he. There is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Nor is there any other who can deliver from my hand. For I raise my hand to heaven and say, as I live forever. So there, it's the Lord. He, he's the one who creates. He's the one who gives life. He's the one that can wound. He's the one that can heal. He's the one that allows anything to pass through his hands to happen to anyone. And he's the one that these guys got a little taste of when Jesus said, I am he. And they fell backwards. And this reminds me, you know, when you realize this and you, you, know, you think about the situation, just by saying, I am, really didn't, he is added in the, you know, the original is just simply, I am, like the I am of the, of the burning bush. And they fell backwards at that. God is God. In Second Kings, it reminds me of this uh, uh, amazing little story, Second Kings, verse 1 through 15. And Elijah uh, was uh, the prophet. And Moab rebe- had rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. And, and Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his uproom in Samaria and was injured. And so he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise and go to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there's no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Akron? Or Akron? And now therefore thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from your bed which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And so Elijah departed. And when the messengers returned to him, he said to them, Why, why have you come back? And so they said to him, A man came up to meet us and said, Go return to the king. Who sent you? And say to him, Thus says the Lord, it's because there or is it because there's no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? And therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And he said to them, What kind of man was it who came up to meet you and told you these words? And so they said to him, A hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, Ah, it's Elijah the Tishbite. And then the king sent to him a captain of fifty with his 50 men. So he went up to him, and there he was sitting on the top of the hill, and he spoke to him, Man of God, the king has said, come down. And so Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, If I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down and consumed and from heaven and consumed them and his 50. And then he sent to him another captain of 50 and his, with his 50 men. And he answered and said to him, Man of God, Thus has the king said, Come down quickly. And so Elijah answered and said to them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty men. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. And again he sent a third captain of fifty um, and with his fifty men. And the chief captain of fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to him, Man of God, Please let my life and the life of these fifty servants of yours be precious in your sight. Look, look, fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of fifties with their fifties. But let my life now be precious in your sight. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. You know, you don't mess with the Lord. He is a holy God. And, you know, uh, we'll get to this a little later, but uh, we see it again one more time in Revelation 20, verse 9. Let's go ahead and turn there, um, verse 9 and 10. Um, Or I can just read it for you, and we'll keep a cruising here. uh, They went up the breadth of earth. Now, this is when their satanic rebellion is crushed at the end of time, at the end of the millennium. Satan riles up again. He's cut loose and draws a bunch of people together once again. And um, uh, at the end of the millennial reign, and he'd gathered these together and they all came. Verse 7, Now when the thousand years expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out and deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. 
And they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone and where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and forever. You know, God's not to be messed with. And um, I think these guards that came to arrest Jesus ought to be a little grateful that all they did was get knocked over backwards. Um, God gives life or takes life. God heals and wounds. Mockers like to say that God's just an angry God and only wants to strike them with lightning and with fire and brimstone. But here we have Jesus now, you know, allowing them to take him. If they're going to take Jesus, uh, it's only because he allows it. And, you know, if, if how long could, or how could a, a loving God allow such awful things to happen to people? Often people ask. And, but this is where Jesus proves himself to be God and shows them that he can defeat them, but instead allows you know, them to take him away. In verses, uh, going back to John 18, verses 8 and 9, Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. And the saying might be uh, fulfilled, which he said, of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. And in, in chapter 17, you know, he had prayed that, Lord, I have not lost any of those that you've given me. And as he uh, uh, stepped forward to meet these guys like a protector, you know, when these troops were all coming, he moved out away from the disciples and says he approached them and stepped out towards them and, and then saying, you know, leave these, let these guys go. And, and so uh, notice he steps forward in that protective posture and has his disciples released from the impending arrest. In verses 10 and 11, Peter, ready to fight, takes off Malchus's ear, and we know from other Gospels that the Lord had healed him. Later, Jesus would tell Pilate you know, that his kingdom was not of this world, and if it were, he would be, uh, his disciples would fight for him, and if so, you know, Peter would probably have been his Joab, like for David, Peter would have been his general leading the troops. He was always first on the scene when it came to things concerning that, and but the real battle was really yet to come for the Lord. Um, and the cup that he was about to drink would be extreme suffering and separation from the Father. And while our sins were put on him, so much so that he prayed twice in the Gospel of Matthew, um, let this cup fast for me. And so there was certainly a battle coming. Uh, Nevertheless, he said, thy will be done knowing what glory lied ahead for him. In verses 12 through 18, notice the courtyard of the high priest was an open space where everyone could see and hear and all things were going on. And, and so it was, I'm sure, well lit, torch lit and uh, um, open and there was a door, a gate and all. And present there were all those who sent the troops, you know, the, the um, high priests, the Pharisees, the scribes. And the officials, certainly many of the Jews that had plotted to put Jesus to death, and those also thought to kill Lazarus because Jesus raised him up, proving that he is from the Father. Those that said he had a demon or tried to stone him, those that tried to accuse the woman caught in adultery, and they themselves were exposed by Jesus, and they had to leave. Well, now is their chance. They got him here in the high priest's courtyard. Let's see him humiliated. You know, there were a lot of people there in that courtyard. And also some that may have believed but were afraid of the Pharisees, lest they be put out of the synagogue. We learned earlier in the Gospel of John, there were those that, that did believe but didn't come forward uh, publicly for fear of being put out of the synagogue. Whoever the disciple was with Peter, uh, maybe it was John himself with the detail he's writing this, uh, whoever it was was known to the high priest and his servants, even Malchus and his relatives, but more on Peter in a bit, um, in verse 19 through 24, it says, The high priest then asked Jesus about the disciples and his doctrine. And Jesus answered him, I spoke openly in the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always met. And in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me and what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I have said. 
And when he had said these things, one of the officers, uh, one of the officials who stood by, struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Well, and Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of me. But if well, why do you strike me? And then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas. You know, he noticed he asked about Jesus' disciples. And, you know, it's possible looking across the courtyard, they could hear what was going on, what was being said. And they could probably see these guys. And if there was one disciple that the high priest knew already, and he might have noticed Peter, who has already been let in. And um, religious leaders, though, if you look at this, you know, he wants to talk about their, his, you know, his doctrine. Religious leaders are always ready to compare their doctrines, always ready to defend their traditions of men, ready to try and catch somebody in their words. And Jesus simply tells them, Everything he needed to say, he's already said to everyone publicly. None of this covert, subversive planning and plotting, and none of this special info info for just the important guy. It was uh, free for all. Jesus spoke openly and publicly all the things. And remember, he called his disciples his friends because he hid nothing from them. Um, So, for he, you know, the fact that uh, uh, he is struck by the official. Uh, Jesus challenged him now to reveal what evil he had done. And these guys had nothing. They were, all the accusations were false. And to this point, nobody even came up with an accusation, knowing that there was nothing Annas couldn't come up with. You know, Remember, the Lord made all things. He holds all things together, all physical matter, because his word says uh, that when he lets go, all the elements are going to melt with the fervent heat. And all of the uh, elements are going to dissolve with a great heat. He holds all things together. The rope that they tied him with. The hand of the official that slapped him. The thorns that they forced into his brow. And the nails they put through his hands and his feet. He holds all that together. Everything. He holds the life in us. He holds the breath in us. Our heart beating. And he's the one that... uh, uh, holds all of these things together and keeps it from uh, melting away. And um, well, things broke down quickly with Annas, and so he sent Jesus on to his father-in-law uh, or son-in-law Caiaphas, also a high priest that year. They were together, and so while leaving the courtyard and being led away, we have verses twenty-five through twenty-seven. And here's Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose, Peter, whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter then denied again, and immediately the rooster crowed. Uh, you know, first we have the doorkeeper girl recognize him. You know, he came in with a disciple that everybody in the court you know, knew courtyard knew this disciple that Peter came with and he goes back and gets him let in the girl recognizes that the servants around the whole are around for the whole thing warming themselves by the fire and there's Peter standing there and this is the high priest courtyard they his family his friends it was cousins a lot of those and this and the police and all uh, were there um, and then finally uh, uh, the guy who he's whose eerie cut off is probably across the courtyard saying oh that's him, and so his relative says, "Aren't you the Aren't you the one that you know that was with him in the garden? I think I saw you there." And things, you know, this is when Jesus is being taken out. And about then, the rooster crowed. We learned from other gospels, and Jesus looking back at Peter and saw him. And Peter saw Jesus, and he left, went back out, and wept bitterly. We learn from the other Gospels. Reading verses 28 through uh, chapter 19, verse 16, is the Lord before the Roman guy, Pontius Pilate. And so let's read 28 through 19:16. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium. And it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? 
And they answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. And Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. And therefore the Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. And Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others you know, tell you this concerning me? And Pilate answered, Well, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me, and what have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, and so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. And Pilate therefore said to him, Well, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do, the, do you therefore want me to release you, the king of the Jews? And they called and cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. And now Barabbas was a robber. And so then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put it on a purple road. And they said, Hail, king of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. And Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, You take him and you crucify him. I find no fault in him. And the Jews answered, We have a law, and, and, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid, and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where do you come from? And Jesus gave him no answer. And Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me now? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. And therefore the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Uh, delivered me to you has the greater sin. And from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Well, now Pilate, when he heard this saying, brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, uh, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. And now it was the preparation day of the Passover in about sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. And then he delivered them delivered him to them to be crucified. And so they took Jesus and led him away. Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Um, notice, uh, he, you know, they're deflecting right from the beginning uh, because they have no true accusation against him. In verse 28 through 30, you know, he asks them plainly, you know, what's, what do you have against him? And, well, you know, we don't have it. We, we, they couldn't come up with a thing. And so in verses 31, 32, Pilate doesn't want to deal with this at all. Uh, neither can they do what they want under Roman law, under Roman rule. This is also a testimony against the Jewish leadership because they were now in occupied territory under Rome. You know, they, they, had, they weren't sovereign. They had no true king. You know, I think Herod was, he bought his uh, way in and... Um, you know, thus they were unable to keep their own law. They weren't able to execute judgment. Under judgment with no one to sit on the throne of David as promised by God. That's how Israel finds itself when the Lord was there. Unaware or just unwilling to accept the very one who now sits on the eternal throne of David. The true Messiah. The one they were about to crucify. 
you know, in verse 33 to 37, God kept his promise that the scepter would not depart from Israel because Jesus now reigns forevermore. And then Pilate says, well, what is truth? These days, the things we're told so far from the truth that just about everyone expects to be lied to. Uh, Everybody expects lies and half-truths. They even accept it so that they don't have to think or give up their comfortable lives. And eventually, they they don't want to admit it, but eventually it's all going to come crashing down. We're close. We see in this country unbelievable amount of deception and misleading and you know, taking the narrative, as they say, off to something entirely different than what's intended, deflecting, um, double standards. Uh, the media is a machine that is specifically designed to deceive. And the funny part is they, they, they put out these polls and ask you, what do you think about this and what do you think about that? Things that only they've been telling us about. So what are we supposed to think about it other than what they've told us? It's, it's ridiculous. Um, I've heard it put this way when it comes to truth. Truth is when your deeds match your words. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. What is truth? Well, Jesus is the truth. He came. He testified of the truth. Um, he, He was born for that cause. I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of truth hears my voice. There are a lot of people seeking, not like they used to be. Now they're kind of seeking how to survive. They're seeking how to have what they want to have. They're seeking to have things without working for them. But there are those, and we should be ready, that are you know, seeking the Lord and trying to understand what this is all about. And if ever there's a time, these are the days when we have a witness, and we have the Lord, we have truth, and we can present that truth to them, praying that the Lord by his Holy Spirit would be working in their hearts, drawing them to himself. In chapter 19, verses 1 through 8, Pilate had been uncomfortable all along, and now had even scourged Jesus to please them. But he is now more afraid, because he finds out that Jesus has claimed to be the Son of God. And thinking, I, I, I just scourged this guy. i got to check this out. So he goes back in and talks to him and, and says, wait a minute. you know." And so Jesus tells him plainly where he's from. And who really does have the authority right, in all of this? Tell him you wouldn't have any of this in verse 11. Um, none of this. You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin, speaking of the Pharisees and the Jewish leadership. Well, at this point, Pilate wants no more to do with any of this and seeks to release him. But they respond with threats to defame Pilate to Caesar. Hey, Caesar, you know, if you're a friend of Caesar's, you're going you're gonna to be taking this guy out because he claims to be a king. You can't have any kings under Caesar. So Pilate gives up, trying to, face, uh, trying to save face, goes to the official judgment seat down to the pavement. And after mocking them about their lack of a king, <laughs> you know, he hands Jesus over to be crucified. Now, the rest of, the rest of uh, chapter 19, um, a few weeks back, a month back on Good Friday, uh, Dwight had gone through the chronological uh, statements and sayings of Jesus from the cross going through the different Gospels and putting them in chronological order. And uh, so just to, to uh, follow up here, I'm just going to go ahead and read through the rest of, of uh, chapter 19 of the Gospel of John, um, beginning of verse 17, which is on the next page. And he beareth his cross, went out to a place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. And therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, don't, write the king of the Jews, but 
but he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered him, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to each soldier, soldier a part and also a tunic. And now the tunic was without seam, woven from top uh, in one piece. And they said, therefore, among themselves, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it, um, for whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, for my clothing they cast lots. Psalm 22, that is. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. In other words, because it was prophesied, that's what they did, is the context there. And not that they just came across it and you know, decided to do what they wanted to do. It was already prophesied. And now there stood by the cross Jesus, his mother, by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by. And he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. And a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled with a sponge of sour wine and put it on hyssop. And put it to his mouth. And so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. To Telestai. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, um, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. And the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who were crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side and the spear with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may believe. For these things were done, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken, and that's Exodus 12, 46, Numbers 9, verse 12, and mostly what referred to as Psalm 34, 20 in the scriptures. Again, another scripture says, they shall look upon him who they pierced. And that's the prophet Zechariah 12, verse 10. John takes the narrative himself a little bit here in verse 35 because he sees these things and he knows these things were prophesied. And he can say, I saw this. I'm testifying. And my testimony is true. I'm the one that saw it. And so you and he says, so that you might believe, as John writes this gospel. At the end of the book, he says, many, many more things are written, so much that the books in the whole world wouldn't be able to contain it. And so to come for him to, to put all these things together, what's important to him? That scripture was fulfilled. It's the Lord. He testifies. John was one of the guys that went up to the Mount of Transfiguration and saw the Lord glorified. John was there when Jesus was healing, and the testimony is true. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for he feared the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. And so he came and took the body of Jesus and Nicodemus, who had first came to Jesus at night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. And uh, they took the body of Jesus, bound it in strips of linen with, with spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. And now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. And so there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb is nearby. I've been to Israel, I've seen the Garden of Gethsemane, and I've been in the tomb, and they consider it what they call an A-site, that's very, very likely that it was indeed the tomb. And there's a little, little groove in the, in the stone there where a big stone could be rolled in and, and to cover it. And it's just a little, what, 15 by 12 area, or a little smaller, and, and carved right out of solid rock. And there's no way, and we'll read on, uh, in the other Gospels you can read on. Um, there's no way that uh, 
anybody could have rolled that stone away. The Lord himself, he did it. Um, you know, remember that Jesus had told them of the great sorrow that they would have at this time, back in uh, John 16. But he also told them that they would then rejoice after he, they saw him again. And so I wanted to just talk about the crucifixion. Let's, or let's look at really at how they talk about the crucifixion afterwards. If you just want to go two pages to your right, to Acts chapter 2, and just reading through some of these passages with the time we have left, uh, verses 22 through 39. Peter had uh, been speaking, and um, they had been filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and everybody thought that these guys were drunk, you know, and so Peter says, no, that's not it at all. Prophet Joel prophesied. He's pouring out his spirit on all flesh. And he goes on and, and uh, says in, in verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst. And you yourselves also know him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pangs of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Why? For David said concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I might not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You have made me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, that he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne, he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul has not, was not left in Hades, nor his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. And therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, where sh what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. First thing, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all that are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And that's us. Next uh, verse, uh, Acts 4, just 1 through 12. And now as they spoke to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. And however, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came about 5,000. And it came to pass the next day that their rulers and elders and scribes, as well as Annas the priest and Caiaphas, here they are again, John and Alexander, as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had sent them in the midst, they asked, By what power, what name have you done this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if this day we are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, will let it be known to you all, that all the people of, and all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Now this is only a few months back. There was the Pentecost. They received the Holy Spirit. Here's Caiaphas and Annas and all these leaders and the Pharisees are sitting around going, well, we dealt with this a few months back. And uh, it says, uh, if we this day, um, 
are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means has he been made well? And it's by Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Remember, and it said on the cross, uh, King of the Jews, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him stand, this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which the rebuilt, which the builders, um, sorry, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Praise the Lord. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, what is the gospel? And how much of it is about the resurrection? How much of it's really about the crucifixion as well? Because yes, he rose from the dead. And yes, we have a bright future because death has been conquered and, and we will be with him. And First um, Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 8. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also re- you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And he was seen by Cephas and the twelve. After that he's seen by five hundred, at once of whom the greater part remain to this present. There's a, there's a host of witnesses to this. But some have fallen asleep. And after that he was seen by James and by all the apostles. And the last of all he's seen by me, also one as one born out of due time, for I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of Christ. And going over to Colossians 1, how much of the gospel depends on the crucifixion? Well, yes, we're going to be raised up with him. But yes, we also need to die with him. In in, uh, Colossians 1, verses 19 to 23, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. That alone should go on our refrigerator. There's nothing more that we need. There's nothing else we need to add, right? For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth, things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by the wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless, and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded, steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, am a minister. Jesus had to be crucified. And this is true also for us. And Jesus had already told his disciples that they needed to take up, his, take up their cross and follow him. And that's where he was speaking of what type of death he would die. And the, the, the doctrine of, of what the crucifixion means is found in Romans 5 and 6. And I'm going to stick to that subject with it because to teach through these chapters should take weeks. And I'm going to try and, and just lay out why the crucifixion and the fact that Jesus had to die is just as important as the fact that he was risen from the dead. So this lays out everything this means to us. Leading up to verse, uh, to verse 4 in chapter 5, we see in chapter 4 that our, justifi- our justification is by faith in Abraham. That is Romans chapter 4. In 4.20 uh, to 25 to 5 verse 5. What was I going to read there? Um, Romans 4. Let's just start in 20. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strength, strengthened in faith, and this is Abraham, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. And now if it was not written for his sake alone, but it was imputed to him, but also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus uh, our Lord from the dead, 
who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. And it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God, through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that the tribulations produce perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who is giving, who has been given to us. So, um, our justification. What was really going on when Christ was crucified? And reading uh, verses 6 through 11. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled, Uh, We are reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And this is the resurrection. Not only that, but we are also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You know, now, well, we were ungodly, it says. We were sinners. We were enemies towards God. We were without strength. But now... We're justified, we're saved from wrath, and we're reconciled to God, and we have his life. Verse uh, 12 through 21, best summed up just by reading 12 and 18 through 21. Therefore, as though one man, just as through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned, for as many as one man's Uh, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through the righteousness to eternal life through Jesus our Lord. You know, uh, the old man was crucified. Let's let's read on um, to what happened to us on the cross in Romans chapter six, one and two. What what happened to us when Jesus died on the cross? Um, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, certainly not. How should we who died to sin that happened on the cross? We who believe died to sin. When, when he died on the cross. How can we who died to sin live any longer in it? That's not something we do. There's our part. There will be our part. But that is something that happened on the cross. We died to sin, those of us who believe. Or do you not know in verse 3 through 4 um, that you were buried with him? Or I'm sorry, as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism, unto death or into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. We've been buried with him. We've been crucified with him, our old man. We died to sin. And in verses 5 through 14, it goes on to say, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, and that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. And now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall now also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. How many verses was it? Up to 11. Um, Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But that the life he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed 
but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, um, you know, oh, I'm going to go up to 14. I'm sorry. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in, in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but, be, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members uh, as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. You're not under the law, but under grace. So verses 5 through 14, the old man's crucified. The body of sin is done away with. So what's our part? Well, we just need to reckon that. We need to reckon ourselves dead indeed to sin, he says. Not to let sin reign in us. Don't present yourselves an instrument of unrighteousness to sin. Sin has no domain over us. The word domain, dominate, that means it's something that's over you and crushes you. You know, we have a, a kingdom that we're a part of. We're a part of the Lord's kingdom, and we have a benevolent king. He's not a king over us that crushes us. But when there's something that's dominant and there's a domain that's over you, you're, you're crushed by it. Uh, that's why when he led captive captivity and he busted the domain of Satan because he took away the sting of death. And there is no more domain over us. But Jesus, you know, we're, we're not under any law anymore. Jesus was crucified for us. You know, we're in his grace. We're not under the law. Verses 15 through 23, to wrap things up. What then? Shall we sin because we're under, not under the law but under grace? Well, certainly not. Do you not know that whom you present yourselves to obey, you are the one's slaves of whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that through you, uh, though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that from form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves on uncleanness, and of lawless leading uh, to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness and to be set apart. For you were slaves of sin. You were freed in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? And the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin, having become slaves of God, you have fruit to holiness And the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A lot happened on that cross when Jesus rose from the dead. We who live with him also, um, who believe in him, will live with him in all eternity. A lot happened on that cross. Jesus was crucified, but we died also. We died to our old man, is buried. We died to sin. We don't have to be in that domain anymore. And, um, you know, there's grace for the question of, well, gee, you know, what about I, I, you know, blew it yesterday. I've been a believer for, you know, however long. I trust the Lord, but still. Well, the Bible says a righteous man on a good day will sin seven times. What are we to do with that? We still drag around these, these corpses, these dead bodies. We still live. We get up in the morning, and the first thing I, we're feeling is hungry or like we need coffee or something. And the last thing we think of is walking after the Spirit. And that's why the Lord said, take up your cross daily and follow me. But a lot happened on that cross. And if you wanted to know how to handle that, the very next chapter in Romans, chapter 7, what exactly is it with the law, and what are we under? And, and at the end of it saying, you know, how am I supposed to live? I make these mistakes. I'm a wretched man. And, and it says, I thank the Lord. Who's going to help me with this body of death? And it says, I thank the Lord Jesus Christ, um, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So we don't allow ourselves to be subject to sin. We don't allow ourselves to be instruments of unrighteousness. We just live to the Lord. 
And then what's awesome is the first verses of chapter 8. So to look into that with time allowed, I would let you look those up on yourselves tonight if you'd like. Just keep on reading after chapter 6 here and, and go through 7 and 8. And it's a glorious truth of how his grace covers us. And there's no condemnation for those of us who are going to walk in the Spirit. Amen? So let's pray. Lord, we do need you for all things. There's nothing good in us. There's nothing good in me. And um, any good thing that comes out of us, you get the glory for. Uh, And you're so faithful to us. Lord, I trust your word will go forth. um, Even though delivered in feebleness, Lord, I just pray that you would be sending it forth in power and that you would not let it return void. And I just pray that you'd bring fruit from your word in our hearts and in our lives. And we continue to just lift up those who have need. And our hearts are toward those who are suffering, Lord. And we just ask that you'd make them whole. Pray you'd touch them. Give them grace. And so we just uh, desire, Father, that we could once again meet as a fellowship. And we pray that soon we'd be able to gather together again. Pray that you just handle all of this. Father, you're still in control. None of what's going on around us is, is surprising you. You're not, you're not nervous about any of this. And we know that you love us. We know that you'll care for us as much as you'd care for a bird and seeing how its needs are met, Lord. Thank you so much how you care for us. And we just lift all these things up. In Jesus' name, amen. As slaves of uncleanness and of lawless, leading to more lawlessness, so... Now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness and to be set apart. For you were slaves of sin. You were freed in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? And the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin, having become slaves of God, you have fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A lot happened on that cross when Jesus rose from the dead. We who live with him also, um, who believe in him, will live with him in all eternity. A lot happened on that cross. Jesus was crucified, but we died also. We died to our old man, is buried We died to sin. We don't have to be in that domain anymore. And, um, you know, there's grace for the question of, well, gee, you know, what about I, I, you know, blew it yesterday. I've been a believer for, you know, however long. I trust the Lord, but still. Well, the Bible says a righteous man on a good day will sin seven times. What are we to do with that? We still drag around these these corpses, these dead bodies, we still live. We get up in the morning and the first thing we're feeling is hungry or like we need coffee or something. And the last thing we think of is walking after the Spirit. That's why the Lord said, take up your cross daily and follow me. But a lot happened on that cross. And if you wanted to know how to handle that, the very next chapter in Romans, chapter 7, what exactly is it with the law and what are we under? And, and at the end of it saying, you know, how am I supposed to live? I make these mistakes. I'm a wretched man. And, and it says, I thank the Lord. Who's going to help me with this body of death? And it says, I thank the Lord Jesus Christ, um, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So we don't allow ourselves to be subject to sin we don't allow ourselves to be instruments of unrighteousness. We just live to the Lord. And then what's awesome is the first verses of chapter 8. So to look into that with time allowed, I would let you look those up on yourselves tonight if you'd like. Just keep on reading after chapter 6 here and, and go through 7 and 8. And it's a glorious truth of how his grace covers us. And there's no condemnation for those of us who are going to walk in the Spirit. Amen? So, let's pray. Lord, we do need you for all things. There's nothing good in us. There's nothing good in me. And um, any good thing 
that comes out of us, you get the glory for. Uh, And you're so faithful to us. Lord, I trust your word will go forth. um, Even though delivered in feebleness, Lord, I just pray that you would be sending it forth in power and that you would not let it return void. And I just pray that you'd bring fruit from your word in our hearts and in our lives. And we continue to just lift up those who have need. And our hearts are toward those who are suffering, Lord. And we just ask that you'd make them whole. Pray you touch them. Give them grace. And so we just uh, desire, Father, that we could once again meet as a fellowship. And we pray that soon we'd be able to gather together again. Pray that you just handle all of this. Father, you're still in control. None of what's going on around us is is surprising you. You're not you're not nervous about any of this. And we know that you love us. We know that you'll care for us as much as you'd care for a bird and seeing how its needs are met, Lord. Thank you so much how you care for us. And we just lift all these things up. In Jesus' name. Amen.